you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, open those up to the book of Judges. Book of Judges. Judges is in your Old Testament, is seventh book of the Old Testament. Judges chapter 6 and 7 is where we're going to kind of camp out today. I just want to start out by saying how thankful and blessed I am uh, for you guys because just just being able to bring other folks in uh, to, to share the stage and, and to, to, hear, to have you guys hear uh, different speakers and different communicators, I think that's, that's a great thing. And just really encouraged by that, and I love uh, giving other people the opportunity and the chance for that. And just so you guys know up front, I, I share with the, the elders and the leaders here at this church when they uh, interviewed me seven years ago. Matter of fact, you guys know seven years ago next week is when I, I came on staff here at Chester Christian Church. Time has flown by, yeah. Uh, but I share with them just my heart for ministry, and my heart is team ministry. Team ministry. It's not about one person. It's not about one, one man or woman. It's about a team. And so for me, it's about, um, it's about really empowering you guys to be able to do ministry because God has called all of us, right? And Peter, Peter says that we are all a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that, that God has gifted every single one of us with gifts and talents. And he wants us to use those gifts to make much of him and to make much of Jesus and so, man, I just want you to know that, that for us here, it's about team ministry. It's about empowering you guys to do ministry. And that's part of the discipling process. That's part of the equipping process. And it's giving you guys confidence, not in yourself, because we don't have confidence in ourselves, but our confidence is in Jesus Christ, who gives us the Holy Spirit, right? And the Holy Spirit empowers us then to give us that confidence through the cross uh, to do ministry and to share this good news and to make much of Jesus, right? Amen? Amen. Man, so, so Judges chapter 6, and, and we're going to look at this guy by the name of uh, Gideon. And I'll share more about uh, Judges and Gideon in just a minute to kind of give you a little background. But this is one of those stories where, man, I don't know if you, if you guys have those movies that you watch that you just get pumped up. You know what I mean? Like for me, growing up, I used to always watch the Rocky movies. You guys ever watch the Rocky movies? I could watch those Rocky movies, and I just, I would leave. Like I, afterwards, I'd just want to go out and just do something. You know what I mean? The adrenaline flowing. And this is one of those stories where, man, Gideon is just one of those stories where it'll get your adrenaline flowing, right? Have you ever seen the movie 300? Anybody ever seen that movie 300? The edited version, of course, right? <laughs> the movie 300. And this is kind of like one of, those, one of those stories, man, where it just seems like all the odds are stacked against Gideon and the Israelites, where, where their backs are up against the wall. Uh, it seems like they're in a situation where they, there's hopelessness, and they just uh, seem like everything is lost. And it's in that moment, man, where, where God steps in. Now, what I want you to understand is, is that God has always been there, okay? God has always been there. It's just, it's just sometimes when, when we're going through circumstances or struggles in our life, you know, that pain that we're experiencing just kind of magnifies. It's like a, just a magnet, you know, to, to our attention. And that's what we focus on. And, and that will either drive us to our knees and, and, and call out to God, or it can do the opposite, and it can drive us away. And that in question, you know, is God really good? Is he, is he faithful? But God steps in and, and strengthens Gideon and the Israelites, and he proves himself to be faithful and sovereign. And I'm willing to bet this morning that many of us have situations or circumstances in our lives where we have felt hopeless, right? 
Can we, can we get some hands? Yeah, absolutely. Where you feel like, man, you are just, the odds are stacked against you, your back is up against the wall, and you feel like that life is just hopeless in certain situations. Maybe it's a marriage. And you're just struggling, and you're like, man, is this ever going to work out? Is it going to work through this? And you're just struggling. Maybe it's with your job. You've got a boss or a coworker that you're just wrestling with and struggling with, and you're thinking, man, is this going to get any better? Maybe you've got wayward kids, and you're thinking, man, is this, is this situation ever going to get any better? It's your finances. You're struggling. And see, all these things, man, they add up, and you feel like the odds are stacked against you, and you're at the end of your rope. And it's in times like these, man, that our faith, our faith in God can be challenged, can it? We can begin to question whether or not God is really good. We, we can begin to question whether God is faithful. And we can even begin to ask, God, are you, are you listening? Are you paying attention down here? Do you see what I'm going through? Now, now te- technology manufacturers, they have a phrase called the tabletop test. And engineers who design these nifty little products that I have in my hand here, these like iPhones, iCandy is what I call them, yeah. iPhones, iPods, whatever you have, tablets. And they design these things, and the question is that they ask is, will these shiny new products that we have produced, will they survive actual consumers in the real world? Like, what happens if my phone is on the table and my four-year-old comes across and knocks it off the floor? You know, is it going to survive that test? Is it going to survive that crash? I think the same question can be asked of our faith. When the odds seem stacked against us, when things don't go as planned, when we're going through difficult seasons in life, do we trust the sovereignty of God? Do we trust the sovereignty? Do we doubt the goodness and faithfulness of God? Do we wonder if he's even paying attention? And let me just throw this out there because I think sometimes we tend to measure God's love for us or his faithfulness to us based off our circumstances. You know, if things are going good in our life, if things are going well, if we've got a season where, man, things are just clicking on all cylinders, right, we can think, man, God, God must be really pleased with me. But if things start to fall apart, Things start to go south. The odds seem stacked against us. We can begin to question God's faithfulness, right? You say, man, I must have done something to get on God's bad side. I've heard so many people say, I must have done something to make God mad. But can I just, just up front, real quick, put that myth to bed for you guys? Can I do that for you? Because let me tell you something, man, that, that the proof of how God feels about you is what he did for you and me 2,000 years ago when he sent Jesus Christ to the cross to die for our sins. See, God initiated his love towards us and he sent Jesus to this earth to die a sinner's death for us. That's how God feels about you. I want you to know this morning that, that, that God's love for us does not change because of our circumstances. God's character does not change. And what we learn from Gideon and the Israelites this morning is that regardless of what we are experiencing in life, no matter how much the odds are stacked against you, God is on our side, right? God is able. We just sang it. He is on our side. He is for you. And no matter what you're going through, God wants to use your circumstances to build your faith and to prove that he is faithful and trustworthy and sovereign. Now, you may not be familiar with Judges or Gideon. Judges, the book of Judges, that, that, whole, uh, that whole scene there in Judges takes place during a period of time when Israel, God's chosen people, um, were living in the promised land. You guys may have heard about the promised land. It was the land of Canaan. It was the land flowing with milk and honey. It was the land that God was leading Israel to 
out of slavery from Egypt into this promised land, and he used Moses, and he used Joshua, and they went on this long conquest, and they were battling all these nations and these people to get to the promised land. But when they get to the promised land, God had commanded them that as you enter into this land, I want you to do some things for me. I want you to destroy all of the inhabitants of that land. Everything, I want you to wipe it clean. Now, now my question for you is, is why would God have Israelites wipe everything out of those nations? Because those other nations practiced evil deeds. Those, those other nations, they had false gods. They had gods of Baal, and, and they worshipped other gods. And so God knew that if they go into this, this nations and they leave some of the remnants in there, then, then they would be enticed and they would be tempted to then fall into their practices and they would be tempted to, to worship other gods. It's kind of like this. Think about it like this. If you are trying to cut out sweets, but you go to the store and you buy a bag of Oreos and you put those Oreos in your pantry and you're trying to cut out sweets, right? Every time you go to the pantry door and you open that up and you see that bag of Oreos, what's those Oreos going to be doing? Let me calling out your name, right? Eat me, eat me, right? You're going to be tempted. You're going to be enticed to eat those sweets, right? And that's the way it was. God said, hey, you're going to be tempted. You're going to be enticed. So destroy everything. Now, now, the book of Judges really could be summed up in one sentence, and it says this. The book of Judges could be summed up like this, that the people did what was right in their own eyes. Man, that's never a good thing, is it? When you think about judges, that doesn't mean that there were people walking around in black robes, banging their gavel on the heads of the Israelites, right, keeping them in line. But, but judges were simply normal, everyday, ordinary people like Gideon that God raised up to do great things for him, to deliver them from their enemies. And throughout the book, man, you see this constant cycle that Israel goes through, and it simply reads like this, that Israel uh, sins and they turn away from God, God steps in and rescues them through judges. Israel worships God for a period of time, but then Israel sins again. And that constant cycle is throughout the book of Judges. And you can read about these judges like Deborah, like Samson, and then we're going to talk about Gideon today. And this is how Judges 6 opens up. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and look at that, verse 1, because Israel is actually coming off of a time of relative ease. Right, everything is going well for them, and they're clicking on all cylinders. The bills are paid, the kids are behaving, business is good, everything is coming up roses, and as it tends to happen to us, to all of us in times like this, Israel forgot God. In verse 1, it reads like this, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. Jump down to verse 5 and 6. Midian came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to God for help. Now, now, the Midianites were basically big bullies. They would come to the playground every single day and they would punch the Israelites in the face and they would steal their milk money is what they were doing. And they so impoverished them, man, that they had nowhere else to go, and they cried out for God. I mean, the Midianites were committing genocide. They were kidnapping, and they were, they were murdering people. And the situation looked hopeless. And the Israelites were suffering at the hands of the Midianites because of their own consequences, because they had uh, turned away from God. And during their time of relative ease, they had forgotten God. And now, after seven years of trouble, their faith is being tested, and they have nowhere else to run. And so, so 
cards on the table this morning. The reality for us, if we're honest, is is that chances are that when things in life are going great, in our life, like we want it, we don't have our heart and mind set on the Lord, do we? Chances are. Maybe not all the time, but, but chances are that when things are going great, we don't necessarily have our heart and our mind set on the Lord. And I'm just going to let you know that's typical because of the sin that's in us. That's the way our heart operates, man. When things are going well, God tends to be pushed in the back of our mind. And if everything in life is going great, God tends to get pushed back, and we tend to think, man, I've got this, I'm nailing this, I'm, I'm knocking this thing out of the park. And when times are good, we typically uh, have very little dependence on God. Would you agree? You guys don't agree? Okay, you guys agree. All right. um, but God hears their cry. And he calls on the guy, a guy by the name of Gideon. And I want you to see, man, where Gideon's at when God calls him. This, this is awesome. This is a great story. Verse 11, this is what it says. Look at it with me, chapter 6. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash. While his son Gideon was being out, beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. I love that. Now, I don't know if this is God's way of showing humor and sarcasm, because he calls Gideon a mighty man of valor. It's more like Gideon is scared for his life because he's hiding in a wine press, beating out the wheat. Right? I mean, I, just, I imagine Gideon kind of down in this wine press. It's, this, it's got four walls, you know, and he's kind of down in a pit and he's beating out this wheat, and he keeps looking over the edge to see if the Midianites are coming to attack so he can just get out of there for his, to save his life. That, that's the image that I see here. Gideon even responds in verse 15. He says, how can I save Israel? He says, my clan is the weakest, and I am the least in my father's house. Gideon's like, I have no confidence in this. this is, I, he has no confidence in the power and faithfulness of God. And Gideon responds to God's is in typical times of trouble, in times of testing, in times of distress, because in verse 12, this is Gideon's question. He says, if God is with us, if God is with us, then why has all this happened to us? You guys ever asked that question? Why has all this happened? Because I'm going to tell you something. Gideon would have grown up hearing all of the stories. Gideon would have sat at the feet of people who have shared stories about how God was faithful and how he delivered the Israelites from Egypt and how they were at the Red Sea and how the, the, the Egyptians were chasing them and God uh, parted the Red Sea for the Israelites to pass through on dry ground. Gideon would have heard that story. Gideon would have heard the story about Joshua and how the Israelites uh, walked around Jericho seven times for seven days and on the seventh day walked around it seven times, blew trumpets, and the walls came down. Like Gideon would have heard those stories, and Gideon's like, okay, okay, God, if that's who you are, then where are you now? Where are you now? How come you're not coming to our rescue now? The situation looks hopeless. And that Lord has forsaken us, is what Gideon thinks. Have you ever felt like Gideon? And like God has forsaken you? Where are you now, God? And I think we learn a valuable lesson from Gideon, and that is that God's primary goal, listen to this, God's primary goal in all of our lives is not to make us happy. It's not to make us happy. It's not to make our bank accounts fat. It's not to give us an easy life. 
But God's primary goal in all of our lives is to build our faith in Him. That we learn to trust Him no matter what is happening, good or bad, because God is faithful, He is sovereign, and He is in control. Amen? That's God's primary goal. God will oftentimes use our difficulties and our struggles and our pain to build our faith in Him. And let me tell you something. That's something that we've got to learn over and over and over. I read this past week this inspirational uh, Christian thing. I don't know who wrote it. The author was unknown. But it, but it was written in the way that like God is speaking to you. Okay, And so, so hear this as if God is speaking to you. But this is what it said. It says, if you never know pain, how would you know that I'm the healer? If you never had to pray, how would you know that I'm the deliverer? If you never had a trial, how would you know that I am the overcomer? If you never felt sadness, how would you know that I am the comforter? If you never made a mistake, how would you know that I am the forgiver? If you never knew trouble, how would you learn that I am the rescuer? If you never had a problem, how would you know that I can solve it? And if you had all the power, how would you learn to depend on me? See, God wants to use Gideon to do something great to bring glory to God's name. And I'm going to tell you this something this morning, guys. God wants to use you to do something great to bring glory to God's name, to make much of Jesus. He wants to use you. But before he can do that, he has to build Gideon's faith. And how does God do that? How does God build one's faith? By pulling the rug out from underneath them. By making all the odds against them and then stepping into their life and rescuing them, thus proving himself to be faithful, worthy, trustworthy, and sovereign. Now let me tell you what happens to Gideon because the Bible says in verse 36, uh, this is what Gideon said. Gideon says, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, he says, look, I will place a wool fleece at the threshing floor. So, so Gideon lays out a fleece. He's testing God. He's giving God a, a couple of tests here. And this is the way that Gideon is going to, to show, you know, God, God, is this real? Are you, are you faithful? Are you going to do this? Because, I mean, here's the thing. If God came down and gave you an audible voice and spoke to you, one of two things would happen. You would either be like, man, this is awesome. Like, God spoke to me audibly, and you would, like, go out and do what God said. Or you would think, man, I'm going crazy here, and I don't want to share this with anybody because they're going to put me in the loony bin, right? You would think those two things. But Gideon hears an audible voice, and yet he goes back to God, and he still doesn't trust him. And he says, just to make sure, God, just to make sure that you're going to do what you said you've done, just to make sure you're going to keep your word, here's what I want you to do for me. I'm going to lay this wool fleece on the ground, and when I wake up tomorrow morning, I want the fleece to be dry, but I want the ground all around me to be wet with dew. And and listen, God tolerates it, because Gideon has little faith, and so God is wanting to build Gideon's faith. So the next day, the fleece was dry and the ground was wet. But that's not good enough for Gideon. His faith has been shaken. He's still doubting God's goodness and his faithfulness. And so he says, okay, God, don't be mad at me. Don't be mad at me, God, but I got got one more test for you, one more thing that I want you to do for me. This time I want want the, the fleece to be wet and the ground to be dry. See, anybody here ever put out a fleece for God like that? Have you ever kind of put out a test for God? You've been in trouble and you're like, okay, God, I need a verse. You know, just give me a verse from the Bible. Speak to me. And you're like, 
wow, uh, so, so, wow that's, not, that's not the verse I wanted to hear. You ever done that before? Like you open up the Bible and you're like, God, speak to me. You know, you're like, okay, God, I need a verse. I need a verse. And you point to a verse. And I, that's not what I wanted to hear. Bill Hybels tells a story one time that he knew a man who did that. The man says, God, I need wisdom. I need a verse. Give me a verse. And the verse he pointed to was, and Judas went out and hanged himself. And he said, I know that's got to be wrong. And so he tried it again. And the next verse he pointed to was, therefore, go out and do likewise. You see, that never works. The fleece never worked. It never worked. But God is tolerating this because what he's doing is he is building Gideon's faith. He's building Gideon's faith. God tolerates this. But I also want you to notice in this passage, man, this is what really stood out to me, man, this week as I was looking at this text, is God's incredible patience with Gideon. Do you see that? Like, God has called Gideon, and Gideon is questioning God. He's putting God to the test, and he's like, I just don't know about this, God. And God is patient with Gideon. This is what I want you to understand this morning, man. God is patient with you. God created you. God knows that we are frail and that we are weak and that we are finite creatures. I think about this made me think long and hard about my relationship with my kids because I'm going to tell you something, man. I tell my kids to do something. They don't do it. I don't have as much patience as God. You know what I mean? I lose my patience quick. You know what I'm saying? I think about this patience that God has with Gideon, how this patience has with us, man. God is patient because in those times that God is building our faith, He is patient with us, man. James writes in the New Testament, chapter 1, verse 2. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. So we live in a world that is broken by sin. And because of it, this is what James makes very clear. He says, Because we live in a world of troubles, Man, it's just going to be a part of everyday life. We can't escape them. And God will use our difficulties and our struggles to build our faith. But how we will respond in adversity determines everything. How will we respond? I remember back in the good old days. You guys ever do that now? You guys ever, like, when you're telling stories, like, back in the good old days, right? Back in the good old days. I remember back in the good old days uh, when I played uh, high school football. And uh, we, one of the toughest parts of the season was the first two weeks because we always had two-a-days, right? And two-a-days uh, were when we had two practices a day. And it was in the August, heat, sun, hottest part, you know, uh, of the year. And so we would get there at 8.30 in the morning, and we'd start practice at 9, we'd practice till 11.30, have a break for lunch, and then come back at 1, practice till 3, 3.30, whatever. Two-a-days, they were tough, right? And it was strenuous. And then those two weeks, man, the, the coach always worked us, hardest, always worked us the hardest. You know why he did that? Because he wanted to weed out the people that were just there for whatever reason besides football. Because when adversity came, when things got tough, when, when you were in those practices, man, and it was grueling and it was painful and you wanted to quit, the coach wanted to know, are you going to stick with it or are you going to run? And that's what James is saying, man. In adversity, when things get tough, are you going to doubt the goodness and faithfulness of God? Are you going to run? Are you going to press in and trust God and trust his faithfulness and trust his sovereignty? 
See, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that, does it? Like Satan has a great way of planting doubt in our minds, doesn't he? He can do that very, very well. He's a master at that. But he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion. God is working on you. He is building your faith so that we trust him and know that he's faithful. But this is where it gets really good in the story because Gideon's faith is really going to be tested now. Right? God, God has kind of led him to this point. And I want you to imagine for a second that you're Gideon and you're on your way to the first board meeting with God. And in chapter 7, look at that, chapter 7, verse 2, this is what God says to Gideon. The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now I want you to put yourself in Gideon's shoes for a second, okay? The Midianites, they had 135,000 well-trained, well-equipped fighting men. Do you know how many Israelites there were? 32,000. And they were scared because the Bible earlier says that they were hiding in in caves and holes in the ground. They were scared for their life. So you have 135,000 well-trained, well-equipped fighting men from Midian going up against 32,000 Israelites. Now, I'm no math major, Megan, but that doesn't, that, that odds are stacked against them, correct? What are the odds there? What is that? 135,000, 32,000, what's the odds there? Oh, come on, quick. <laughs> I put it on the spot, I'm sorry. But, but, but the odds, so God says in verse 3, check this out, so God gives Gideon two tests. Now God, God is going to give, so, so Gideon tested God with the fleece, now God is going to give Gideon two tests, and this is what God says in verse 3, he says, whoever is fearful and trembling, I want you to have all these 32,000 men lined up, and I want you to say this, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Would you like to guess how many men raised their hand and said that they were scared and wanted to go home? 22,000 men. 22,000 men throw up their hand and said, I'm scared, I want to go home. Now, if you're Gideon, man, you're thinking to yourself, okay, God, 135,000 men well-trained, well-equipped against now 10,000. 10,000. But God says, no, 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 still too many. <laughs> Gideon is thinking, okay, God, <laughs> what are you smoking up there? You know what I'm saying? Like, this is, this is crazy, right? But, but Gideon's faith is really being tested now. So, so God tells Gideon, take the remaining 10,000 up to the river, and this is the, they're, they're overlooking, man. They're overlooking the Midianite camp. They see the Midianites down there. They see 135,000 well-trained, well-equipped men. And God says, take them to the river. And this is the test I want you to do. I want you to watch closely, Gideon. Whoever gets down on all four, all right, so, so, so ask the men to take a drink, all 10,000 men, and whoever gets down on all fours, and I've never seen anybody drink water like this except for a dog, okay? But, but, but this is what they did, Okay. And laps it like a dog. Like, would you ever drink water from a river like that? How would you drink it? You would get down, right? That was, that was the God's point. Like, whoever gets down and scoops it up into their hand and does this, right? And that's how you would drink the water from a river, right? And so, so God says, whoever does that, I want you to keep. But whoever gets down on all fours and laps like a dog, I want you to send home. Now, why did God do that? Why did God do that? Are you got- why did God do that? Because here's the deal. Because people who will get down on all fours and take their eyes off the enemy are only concerned about their need. 
They're only concerned about themselves. But somebody who's going to get down and scoop it into the water like this, they've got one eye on the enemy and one eye on themselves, taking care of their need. So God says, I want you to line these men up, do this test. Would you like to guess how many men failed this test? 9,700 men failed. Gideon is down to 300 men. I told you, this is like the movie 300, right? I mean, this, is, this is insane. So now, now, I'm no math major, okay, Megan? 300 men against 135,000 well-trained, well-equipped fighting Midianites. I mean, I don't even know what those odds are, but it's a lot. You know what I'm saying? And, and they odds are stacked against them. But to add to the madness, now check this out, add to the madness, God informs Gideon that the only thing that they will need in this battle, are you ready for this? God says the only thing you're going to need for this battle is a trumpet, you right? Yeah, trumpet, clay jars, torches, and their voice. Think about that for a second. That would be like our military men and women going to battle with foam swords, pool noodles, and flashlights. Right? I mean, that's what that would be like. I mean, how absurd is that? But why does God do this? Let me ask you, why does God do this? Why does God break break Gideon's army down to 300 men and then give them this for, 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 for fighting stuff? I mean, a trumpet? Glass? Clay jars? Torches? Because throughout the Old Testament, you read throughout the Old Testament, God constantly reminds his people that he will fight for them. The battle is the Lord's, he says. I will fight for you. I will win the battle. Zechariah 4.6 says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. You see, God stripped everything away from Gideon and the Israelites to where they had nowhere else to turn to but God. When their backs were against the wall, when the odds were stacked against them, when they were in the bottom of the pit, They had nowhere else to turn but up. You know, sometimes we we sometimes we'll we'll turn to other things. When when life gets gets complicated, when things going through a struggle, sometimes we can we can look to other things. Maybe it's a a friend or a relationship, or sometimes we can turn to other things like uh, shopping or food. I mean, I'm gonna tell you, Chick Fil A milkshake does does wonders in a pinch. You know what I'm saying? And so sometimes we can turn to that, but but God assumes the right, and he is sovereign, to strip everything away from us to where we have nothing left but to turn to him. And that's why God has stripped everything away from Gideon. And I want you to listen to how the battle unfolds in in, in chapter 7, verse 19. It says, so Gideon and the hundred men uh, that were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle of the watch, which is in the night there, and when they just set, or in the morning, and when they just just set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hand the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all around the army, and, and, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade, against all the army. So what's going on here is it's early in the morning, man. The Midianites are in their camp. They're asleep. They're groggy. You know when you first wake up in the morning sometimes, you're like, where, is, where, where am I at? You know? They hear these trumpets. They see these torches. They see all these things. And, and they wake up and they're like, oh my, 
the, the, the Israelites have invaded us. They're here. And so they pull out their swords and they start, they start killing each other. And I want you to understand that not one Israelite, 300 men against 135,000, not one Israelite lost their life. Not one. God proved his faithfulness and his power. And what I want you to know this morning is this. Hear me on this. What is true in Gideon's life is true for us today. God is for you. He will fight for you. When our faith wavers because of circumstances in our life, when things seem hopeless, God steps in. And again, the reality is this morning is that God has always been there. When things are going good, God is still there. We're the ones who typically forget because things are going well. But God steps in and, 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 and reveals himself. See, God didn't wander off and take a stroll in the park. He's with us in the good times and the bad. Romans, 5, chapter, Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says, At just the right time, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. See, God is for you. He has fought for you. He has defeated our greatest enemy, death. Satan. He is for you. Romans chapter 8 verse 31, the apostle Paul writes this. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He says, who shall bring any charge against God's people? Alright, and so, so let me... So when Satan comes in and starts to try to attack your mind and try to put you down and try to plant these doubts and see, who, he says, who's going to bring charges against you? You're a child of God. Child of God. He says, it's God who justifies. Who is to condemn us? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than, more than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger? That's why people, Christians all across the world, man, who are being persecuted their faith, know this. Because nothing, not even persecution can separate us from the love of God. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Amen? No matter what you are going through, no matter what the circumstance, God wants to build your faith. God wants you to place your trust in Him and know that He is faithful. Know that He's sovereign. And so practically, what do we learn? Well, practically, uh, I've kind of said it throughout this whole sermon, but, but in times of trouble, man, even in times of good times, we need to just constantly be reminded of the gospel. I'm telling you guys, I tell you this all the time, man, you've got to preach this message to yourself every day because I'm telling you, life is tough, is it not? It just knocks you down. And we need to be reminded that we're a child of God, that God cares for us, that he is for us, that he loves us. So be reminded of the gospel. I would encourage you guys to spend regular time in the word of God. I love, man, that, 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 that we have this Bible app, UU version, and uh, I've become friends with several people, some, some folks in our small group, and and some of the, the elders here. And what it does, man, is it keeps track. And it, lets, it, it can hold each other accountable. You can encourage each other, man. You're in the Word. You know? And so hide the Word in your heart, man. Read God's Word because in God's Word, you're going to read about His faithfulness. 
You're going to read about God's character. You're going to read about those things. You're going to see those stories, how God came through and how God is there. And I would encourage you to, to spend regular time talking with God. You see, what this is, all, this is, what this is, this is our training, right? This is, this is our equipping so that when those times do come, that training is going to kick in and you can go to God's word and say, you know what? I know I'm doubting right now, but God's word says this and he is faithful. I'm a child of God. Amen? And then I just want to encourage you, man, live in community. Man, we can't do this by ourselves. Live in community, man. That's why we come to church on Sunday mornings. That's why we have small groups here. That's why we have Bible studies here. Man, we've got to regularly be in community with other folks to encourage us, to lift us up, to be praying for us, to intercede for us. You've got to be in close proximity with people. So I would encourage you, man, to, to, to be around the people of God. Be in community. But then the ace in our pocket, the ace in our pocket, you know what it is? Something Gideon didn't have. Now, the Spirit of God was with Gideon, obviously. But the ace in our pocket, see, we live on this side of the cross. The ace in our pocket is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us. It's the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And we'll talk more about that next week on Father's Day. I'm super excited about next week. You guys got to come next week. But the Holy Spirit lives in us. Amen? All right. Well, let's, let's close out in prayer here. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness, even when we're not faithful. God, we thank you for loving us when we are unlovely. God, we thank you for your patience with us when we constantly waver in our faith and doubt. God, I am so thankful for that. Father, I'm thankful for your grace and mercy. Father, I know that there are individuals this morning that are just struggling. I know that there are things that that, that we're all facing. Father, I just pray that we've been encouraged by your word today. I pray, Father, that your spirit will just continue to move. And uh, thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song here, and uh, it's, it's furious.